Well, hey, how you doing? It's uh, Thursday, October 14th, 2021. Thursday, October 14th, 2021. Uh, if anybody's counting, uh, yesterday was what my 100th episode of season two, year two, um, which is, um, I guess that would be, what is that? 364 episodes, I think? Something like that. Uh, PVTV, Political Views TV Podcast. Uh, that's what you Google to find me. Uh, tell your friends to Google those four words, Political Views TV Podcast. Also, up right at the top search. Man, do I appreciate you coming every day. It's really nice of you. I know you can go. There's lots of podcasts out there. But I don't think anyone does this much on their own. I spend four or five hours every morning collecting what I can for you to listen to. Uh, so please bring someone with you uh, today or tomorrow and uh, tweet to me questions or insights or fights. Uh, uh, Cyberclops, C-Y-B-E-R-C-L-O-P-S. Give me something to do a story about if, you, if you're curious about something. Ask me a question. Anyway, <clears throat> it happened in the dead of night, as it usually does when they don't want eyes to see. In the early hours this morning, while much of the country slept, the Republican-dominated Texas House approved a heavily gerrymandered district map that critics have denounced as part of an anti-democratic and racist GOP power grab, one that right-wing lawmakers could try to replicate across the United States, taking away the rights to representation for millions. And we talked about how this works. We talked about how gerrymandering, had, uh, the Supreme Court has allowed gerrymandering to continue as partisan gerrymandering, ignoring the racist aspects. At around 3.30 a.m. local time, <clears throat> Texas lawmakers passed the GOP's uh, State House redistricting proposal in a largely party-line vote after roughly 14 hours of debate. The bill, authored by State Representative Todd Hunter and designated to set boundaries for the 150 Texas House districts, now heads to uh, state's uh, Republican-controlled Senate. <clears throat> On top of a slew of uh, other right-wing priorities, the Texas legislature is racing to approve State House, State Senate, and congressional district maps before its third special session of the year expires on October 19th. The Texas gerrymandering effort comes as state legislators across the country, many of them which are totally dominated by the GOP, are working to redraw congressional district lines for the next 10 years. Uh, arcane but deep, deeply consequential uh, process that could impact the entire country. Now, I will say, Democrats do the same thing. They re redraw boundaries in their states. But Democrats are trying to stop redistricting in all states. Reason being, people of color would get the much-needed attention they deserve. They would actually have a voice. They don't have a voice in Texas because I explained the pie, how the pie is cut. I explained 
how they slice out portions of heavily uh, um, black and democratic uh, districts, Hispanic and democratic districts, how they carve them out and remove their power. After, after Texas Republicans unveiled their redistricting proposals earlier this month, Common Cause Texas uh, Executive Director Anthony Guterres said in a statement that these maps do nothing but preserve the status quo at the expense of black and brown Texans. In March, the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives passed the For the People Act, a sweeping voting rights bill that would ban the kind of gerrymandering that Republicans are attempting to carry out in the state nationwide. But the Republican minority has blocked the bill in the Senate and Democrats have thus far refused to change or eliminate the 60-vote filibuster rule in order to pass the legislation. A compromised version of the For the People Act, uh, the uh, uh, recently introduced Freedom to Vote Act would also uh, ban partisan gerrymandering, but the bill has yet to receive a vote in the House or the Senate. And, of course, the Republicans will try to block that. Because Republicans know their power is waning. Enough people have awoken to their fascism. Now that I have your attention, let's try and fix the world. Uh, the House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection issued a subpoena to a former Justice Department lawyer who positioned himself as an ally of Donald Trump and aided the Republican president's efforts to challenge the results of the 2020 election. We just talked about him last week, one of the two Jeffreys at the Department of Justice. The, uh, the subpoena to Jeffrey Kark revealed yesterday came amid signs of a rapidly escalating congressional inquiry. At least three of the people who were involved in organizing and running the rally that uh, preceded the violent riot uh, are handing over documents in response to committee subpoenas because they will go to prison if they don't. The demands for documents and testimony from Clark reflect the committee's efforts to probe not only the deadly insurrection, but also the possible criminal acts that roiled the Justice Department in the weeks leading up to the insurrection. As Trump and his allies leaned on government lawyers to advance his basic claims, uh, baseless claims, that the election results were fraudulent. The big lie. Trump loyalists who wrongly believed the election had been stolen, stormed the Capitol in an effort to disrupt the congressional certification of Biden's victory. Clark, an assistant attorney general in the Trump administration, has emerged as a pivotal character in that saga. A Senate committee report issued last week shows how he championed Trump's efforts to undo the election results. This is the report we just talked about last week. And uh, I think we actually we, I think we talked about it earlier this week. And, and, and he clashed as a result with the Justice Department superiors who resisted the pressure culminating in a dramatic that dramatic White House meeting at which Trump ruminated about elevating Clark to attorney general. Everyone was threatening to quit if he did it, if you remember. 
The committee has scheduled a deposition for October 29th and demanded documents by the same date. A lawyer for Clark declined to comment, but I would bet, I'm betting money right now, that um, he's going to say uh, uh, that, that the president, uh, the former president has told him not to do it because of executive authority, which doesn't pass muster, obviously. Uh, Steve Bannon <clears throat> is about to get spanked for exactly that. Uh, moving on. We just talked about how he, he has ignored the House subpoena a couple days ago. The House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection is on the cusp of entering into a new and critical phase today as he faces his last chance to reverse course and comply with the panel subpoena before lawmakers likely move to seek criminal charges. If Bannon is a no-show, the committee is expected to immediately begin seeking a referral for criminal contempt after the deadline passes. The deadline is today. They will be making an example of Bannon's noncompliance as the House seeks more witnesses. I mean, you, <clears throat> you're going to have to spank them. Uh, the House must act immediately or others will attempt to walk all over them and ignore them. You, you have to spank them. <clears throat> well, it could take some time before the House sends such a referral to the Department of Justice, the committee could take initial steps within hours of the panel's stated deadline today. The committee is unified in its plan to seek criminal charges against those who refuse to comply, and this in includes uh, the Republicans on the committee. And lawmakers have specifically honed in on Bannon while discussing the option publicly. So Bannon is, is going to be, uh, he's going to be in jail if he doesn't, if he doesn't comply. He's going to be made an example of. <clears throat> Moving on. Nearly 300 people have been arrested over the past three days, according to organizers of the People versus Fossil Fuels, who are calling on Biden to block all new fossil fuel projects and declare a climate emergency. Another 90 people were arrested outside the White House yesterday. The theme of yesterday's protest was climate chaos is happening now. People from California, North Carolina, Alaska, Louisiana, and Texas shared how fossil fuel development and extreme weather exacerbated by rising temperatures are affecting their communities. The demonstrations come as scientists and other experts continue to warn about the need to immediately phase out fossil fuels and transform global agricultural, ag agricultural energy and transportation sectors to ensure a habitable future planet. Messages that have mounted as world leaders prepare for COP26, a UN climate summit scheduled for, uh, for the end of the month that we have talked about numerous times. This is a huge summit. It's especially huge after all the devastation this year and last year. I mean, the, the devastation has been unbelievable in the world because of climate change. Uh, and speaking of it, moving on, news that the executives of BP, Chevron, ExxonMobil, and Shell as well as the American Petroleum Institute and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce would testify. This news is welcome 
news. Proponents of holding the fossil fuel industry to account for its role in the climate deception welcomed confirmation yesterday that top oil and gas CEOs will testify before House lawmakers later this month. Last month, House Oversight Committee Chair Representative Carolyn Maloney uh, from New York and Environmental Subcommittee Chair Ro Khanna from, uh, of course, here in California, sent letters to the industry players requesting documents related to their roles in the long-running industry-wide campaign to spread uh, disinformation about the role of fossil fuels in causing global warming and asking them to appear before an October 28th hearing, that's just uh, two weeks away, threatening subpoenas should they not comply. Ro Khanna said in a tweet, in the history of Congress, the fossil fuel executives have never come before the committee to explain climate disinformation and address the climate crisis. That will change. Following the September letters, Kana said the hearing would be a historic opportunity to do something about the damage the fossil fuel industry has done to our planet and our health and announced his intention to make the most of it. Kyle Herrig, president of Government Watchdog Accountable U.S. said the American people have waited too long for answers about Big Oil's effort to poison the public against President Biden's widely popular climate agenda. He added, but the question remains, will these executives own up to their harm they've been trying to hide at this hearing or continue to evade the truth? Now, do you remember big tobacco executives testifying? One after another, they were asked if tobacco uh, uh, was addicting. And each in line said that it was not. In their testimony, they said, no, this stuff isn't addicting at all. No, no, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it's not addicting. Expect much of the same, except they're going to be saying, oh, oh no, we're not causing any problems in the world. Not at all. There's no such thing as global warming. Just like Republicans. So, time to call out Biden. Let's do it. Uh, Biden's glaring failure to fully staff the five-person board of the FCC could result in a two-to-one Republican majority on the panel by year's end, jeopardizing efforts to secure high-speed internet for all and restore net neutrality. Despite advocating for universal broadband access and signing an executive order urging the FCC to reinstate the Obama-era net neutrality rules repealed by the Trump administration, Biden, after almost nine months in office, has yet to take the steps necessary to achieve those goals. Was it fake, Biden? Were you just faking us out? He has to pick a permanent chair and nominate a candidate to fill the fifth and final seat on the panel, which would give Democrats a three to two majority. Biden was praised by progressives for naming Democratic Commissioner Jess, uh, Jessica Rosenworcel as acting chair of the FCC on January 21st. But Rosenworcel's term lapsed in June 2020, which means she'll have to leave the commission by the end of the year unless Biden nominates her and the Senate confirms her to another five-year term. A huge task 
with so few legislative days left in the year and so much else that Congress uh, uh, has scheduled. With Rosenworcel out, the remaining Democrat, Jeffrey Starks, would become acting chair. He would have the power to set the voting agenda at monthly opening meetings, but the two Republican commissioners could outvote him on every item if they so uh, if they so choose, which they would, of course. Biden's foot dragging, long condemned by progressive advocates, has frustrated Democratic lawmakers who are becoming increasingly vocal about the White House's refusal to fill the vacant seat and, and either renew Rosenworcel her term or replace her. Either way, I don't care. You got to do it. So... Moving on. Uh, Senior government officials from the U.S. and 30 allied countries met yesterday virtually and are meeting today to forge closer cooperation in the fight against ransomware, which has knocked out computers off, uh, uh, knocked computers offline at health care centers in multiple countries during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Australia. France, Germany and the U.K. are among the countries represented at the meetings. Uh, The discussions are focusing on efforts to prosecute and disrupt ransomware groups and on dealing with the role of cryptocurrency in funding ransomware attacks, among other issues. Russia is conspicuously absent from the meetings as the White House tries to make progress in bilateral talks with Moscow. Since the Biden-Putin meeting, U.S. officials, uh, which was, what was that, uh, three weeks ago or something? U.S. officials have watched closely for changes in behavior from the Russian government and for any change in the pace of cybercriminal operations from Russia. An official who spoke on the condition of anonymity said the U.S. has shared information with Russia regarding criminal ransomware activity being conducted from its territory. We've seen some, they said, uh, the, the, the official said, we've seen some steps by Russia and are looking to see follow-up actions. They didn't say what the follow-up actions should be. The White House called on Russia to do more to crack down on ransomware groups operating from the country. Still dragging his feet in that, too, I'll say. Um, Moving on. Uh, Pretty far. Pretty far-reaching, I'd say. For just one union, and I'm talking about IATSE, I-A-T-S-E, unless an agreement is reached with the Alliance of Motion Pictures and Television Producers, uh, AMPTP, in the coming days, 60,000 IATSE film and TV workers will go on strike Monday at 12.01 a.m. Pacific Pacific, uh, Standard Time at... So basically, Sunday night at midnight is when the strike begins. Uh, IATSE President Matthew Loeb said yesterday that the union will continue bargaining with producers this week in the hopes of reaching an agreement that addresses core issues such as rest periods, meal breaks, and minimum wages. Now, the problem is that corporations have taken over for producers. I mean, uh, Netflix, uh, HBO. Um, uh, uh, Amazon, Apple, all these companies are producers and they don't give a crap. They're filthy rich. So, uh, he warned the pace of bargaining doesn't reflect any sense of urgency. 
Without an end date, we could keep talking forever. Our members deserve to have their basic needs addressed now. A strike by the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, that's IASI, has the potential to shut down motion picture and TV productions nationwide that are produced under the union and AMPTP's basic agreement, uh, area standards agreement and videotape agreement, which have all expired. Though there is no direct connection to Canada, on higher-end shoots in Canada, they have IATSE members who will strike and could halt productions in Canada as well. The ripple effect is real. Also, Australia, probably not as much in Australia. Australia has its own umbrella. Uh, Loeb uh, set the strike date with the overwhelming support of union members. Remember, we talked about this. 90% of union members uh, voted and 98% of them on October 4th, IATSE announced that more than 98% of eligible union members voted to authorize a strike should it be deemed the best course of action with negotiations at an impasse. So I don't think they're going to make much uh, in, uh, um, by Sunday night. I don't think it's going to happen by Sunday night. Uh, I think there will be no work for anybody, most people in Los Angeles, starting Monday. Moving on, and speaking of Amazon, <laughs> Amazon.com Incorporated, oh man, this is huge news, uh, has been repeatedly accused of knocking off products it sells on its website and of exploiting its vast trove of internal data to promote its own merchandise at the expense of other sellers. Uh, and, and remember, countries all over the world are suing Amazon. The company has denied the accusations, but thousands of pages of internal Amazon documents examined by Reuters, including emails, strategy papers, and business plans show the company ran a systematic campaign of creating knockoffs and manipulating search results to boost its own product lines in India, one of the company's largest growth markets. Uh-oh, India is going to probably, I mean, you know how Modi is. He's probably going to just say, hey, uh, sorry, Amazon.in is done. <laughs> uh, Jeff Bezos is about to get spanked, in other words. Uh, documents reveal how Amazon's private brands team in India secretly exploited internal data from Amazon.in to copy products sold by other companies and then offered them on its own platform. The employees also stoked sales of Amazon's private brand products by rigging Amazon search results so that the company's products would appear as one 2060 strategy uh, report for India put it in the first two or three search results when customers were shopping on Amazon.in. And if you think this isn't happening in the U.S., you're just being silly. The internal documents show that Amazon employees studied proprietary data about other brands on Amazon.in, including uh, detailed information about customer returns, the aim to identify a tar uh, and target goods described as reference or benchmark products and replicate them. As part of that effort in the, uh, the 2016 internal report, report laid out Amazon's strategy for a brand the company originally created for the Indian market called Solomo. The Solomo strategy was simple. 
use, am I doing this right? Yes. Um, use information from Amazon.in to develop products and then leverage the Amazon.in platform to market these products to our customers. The 2016 document, uh, you know what's going to happen? This is what's going to happen. Amazon is going to say, you may take a percentage of products that you sell on your on your on your company website but you may not sell products as well that's what's going to happen the 2016 document further shows that amazon employees worked on the company's own products known as private brands or private labels planned to partner with the manufacturers of products targeted for copying that's because they learned that these manufacturers employ unique processes which impact the end quality of the product. In other words, if you can't du duplicate it, then buy up the company or partner with them. Sort of like what um, uh, Facebook did when they stole Instagram, right? The document. And, and, and of course, Mark Zuckerberg is in big trouble for this. Uh, the document, entitled India Private Brands Program, states, It is difficult to develop the expertise across products and hence to ensure that we are able to fully match quality with our reference product. We decided to only partner with the manufacturers of our reference product. It terms such manufacturer expertise tribal knowledge. So they're going to partner with them or, of course, they'll buy them, buy them out. They'll do one or the other. Uh, Amazon has been accused before by employees who worked on private brand products of exploiting proprietary data from individual sellers to launch competing products and manipulating search results to increase sales of the company's own goods. In sworn testimony before U.S. Congress, if you remember, we talked about this. Uh, in 2020, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos explained that the e-commerce giant prohibits its employees from using the data on individual sellers to help its private label business. And I called BS back then. In 2019, another Amazon executive testified that the company does not use such data to create its own private label products or alter its search results to favor them. So you now say... Bezos lied to Congress in sworn testimony? Isn't that a jailable offense? <laughs> oh, man. Boom. Oh, wow. In a written response to questions, Amazon said, as Reuters hasn't shared the documents or their uh, provenance. Provenance? Is that a word? Or is it just proof? <laughs> I'm going to have to look up provenance. That's so weird. Um, has not shared it with us. We are unable to confirm the veracity or otherwise of the information and claims as stated. We believe these claims are factually incorrect and unsubstantiated. And in other words, picks or it didn't happen. <laughs> I, oh, come on. This can't be true. Where's your proof? <laughs> The unfiltered insight, uh, uh, the unfiltered insight the documents offer into Amazon's aggressive use of its market power could intensify the legal and regulatory pressure the company is facing in many countries. Amazon is under investigation in the United States, Europe, and India for alleged anti-competitive practices that hurt other businesses. In India, the allegations include unfairly favoring its own branded merchandise, which all these documents prove. 
Amazon declined to comment on the investigation. The documents also support criticism of Amazon laid out by Lena Khan, the new chair of the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, which, of course, Jeff Bezos does not like, does not like this woman. <laughs> Khan published a paper in 2017 that argued that Amazon's private brand business raised anti-competitive concerns. Amazon filed a private uh, filed a petition in June with the FTC asking that Khan recuse herself from all matters related to the company because of her repeated proclamations that Amazon has violated the antitrust laws. So you want to get rid of the person that knows. You know, if you get rid of her, that means she she can testify, right? <laughs> You're in deep crap, Bezos. You, you are in such deep crap. And this is why you put William Shatner up on uh, uh, your Blue Origin thing yesterday. This is why you did it. Uh, Khan said the FTC didn't respond to requests for comment. Uh, U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren yesterday said uh, her call to break up Amazon after those internal documents obtained by Reuters revealed all this. Warren tweeted, these documents show what we feared about Amazon's monopoly power, that the company is willing and able to rig its platform to benefit its bottom line while stifling small business and entrepreneurs. This is one of the many reasons we need to break it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I saw William Shatner this morning. Uh, on uh, uh, CBS, and it was a it was a great interview. It really was, and the way he worded it makes me question my first thoughts because he really wants to fix the planet. He really wants to fix the planet. But yesterday and this morning, I, when I saw William Shatner. After he returned from space, I felt it was an Oscar worthy overacting performance by William Shatner. After returning to Earth, he read his lines. Basically, he was paid by Jeff Bezos with a with the trip of a lifetime. Right. I literally laughed out loud when I saw the video of Shatner's response. It was so obviously overacting. I couldn't stop laughing I, again and again. I've seen the video video several times this morning, and I burst out laughing uncontrollably, uncontrollably each time. And others in the media remarked uh, in the same way. So I'm not alone on this. But I will say, this morning, the interview I saw with him seemed to be uh, more realistic. And he... He, he cried about the thin skin of, uh, of the earth, uh, the, 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 uh, the air that's covering the earth and how fragile it is. And that made me like it a little better. I'm still going to probably burst out laughing if I, if I see that, uh, that statement he made after he landed. I'm still probably going to burst out laughing. But... After today, I feel a little better about it. Anyway, that's it. A little bit longer than yesterday. Sorry about that. <laughs> Had a lot to cover, especially that Amazon story. That Amazon story is huge. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, to, uh, Thursday, 
Is it Thursday? Did I say Thursday at the beginning of this thing? I did say Thursday, didn't I? Where Where is that? Hold on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. Oh, good. Uh, Thursday. Uh, October 14th, 2021. Thursday, October 14th, 2021. Uh, PVTV, Political Views TV Podcast. That's what you Google to find me. I'll show up right at the top of the search with those four words. I truly appreciate you coming every day. It's really nice of you. Um, bring someone with you today or tomorrow if you can. Uh, tweet to me questions, insights, or fight with me. Come fight with me about William Shatner. <laughs> at Cyberclops, C-Y-B-E-R-C-L-O-P-S. And remember, always remember, Government profit is measured by the betterment of the people. Don't you ever forget it. I'm Peter Lawrence, reporting from Los Angeles. 33 minutes, not too bad.